Welcome to Bell Curve with Mary Scott, Rachel, and Liz, three friends, three Southern Bells, joining you, smart women, to discuss life, work, relationships, business, everything from the nerdy to the normal, the practical to the philosophical, the head to the heart. Thanks for joining us as we observe, analyze, and often deviate from the standard. Hello, Liz Bashirs here. Have you ever been scrolling through Instagram or Twitter or Facebook and looked up and realized that minutes and maybe even hours have passed? Have you ever been no, sitting on the couch? <laughs> have you ever been sitting on the couch watching TV and realized you pick up your phone to distract yourself during the commercial breaks just out of habit, not even thinking about it? Have you ever been deep into an article or a listicle on BuzzFeed or somewhere like that and your spouse or child had to repeat the same thing three times to get to your attention and you still weren't kind of all you know, all there listening to it yet? <laughs> or have you ever reconnected with a high school or college friend because of Facebook? Have you found inspiration on Instagram or Pinterest or been introduced to a wonderful book you saw being discussed on Twitter? Y'all... I've partially like done social media for a living for the past five years. And part of the way I've made money is, is by working with some of these social media platforms to figure out the best way to, to maximize its power to capture attention, you know, and capture attention is exactly what social media is trying to do. So we have a whole lot of good and bad things to say about social media, but first I have a little quiz for y'all. How much time do you think the average person spends each day on social media? We've got A, two and a half hours, B, one hour, or C, three and a half hours. I'm going to go with A. Mary I'm going to go with one hour. Well, Rachel, you are right. The answer is 144 minutes or right under two and a half hours. Isn't that incredible? Moly. Now, that's a global number, so it's a little skewed by some countries. But still, isn't that incredible? I. How do you get anything done? If, if you're at work for, say, eight hours a day. That leaves, what, 16 other hours to, to get stuff done. And say you're asleep or, or you're getting ready to be asleep or waking up for another eight hours. That leaves eight hours. And if you're spending two and a half of those on social media, how do you get anything done? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Maybe I'm when not as productive you, as I thought I was. When are you actually talking to a real person? I mean, I know it's a real person somewhere out there. But when are you talking to a, a human being sitting with you next to you? I don't. That's a lot of time. Now, I know we have all stepped away from social media in the past and come back at various times for various reasons, but I want to hear from y'all. What are some of the, what are your personal social media habits, maybe rules and structures that you've put in place? Yeah, I've shared before that I got off, got off all social media for an ex- extended amount of time. Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, I think that's all I had. I just kind of nuked it all out of my life for a couple years. This year, I got back on Facebook and started an Instagram account. So my policies are developing really out of that context, wanting to make sure this is a positive thing in my life, considering I went without it and got very used to that and actually enjoyed it. So my policies pretty much come down to maybe three things. When I'm with people, my kids, my friends, waiting for a meeting to start, maybe whatever it is, I'm not on my phone. Now, I may have my phone with me. I may check it real quick to make sure there aren't any work or kid emergencies. But, y'all, I refuse to be someone who is scrolling through some feed when I'm with other people. We were, we were all at Tropical Smoothie the other day, and I marveled. There was a big group of young adults at a table. Every last one of them were scrolling on a phone instead of talking. It was painful. Mm-hmm. 
And then beside us, there was a family. The dad's head was craned over into his phone. The mom was scrolling through her phone. And I can't handle it. Pepper laughs at me. I, I, I get actually upset about it. So maybe I just need to mind my own business. But I'm, I really try not to be that person. Um, the second thing is I don't have notifications turned on. So if someone comments or likes or whatever it is, I don't get those notifications. I don't have Facebook Messenger installed either. So that really just means that if I want to check this stuff, I have to intentionally go to Facebook or Instagram. And the reason I do that is because I think my biggest work strength is an ability to go into deep focus. I'm not great at everything by any means, but I can sit down and really focus for hours on end, do that deep thinking and deep work. And I, I have to protect that. Now that does have its downsides. I lose track of time, <laughs> but um, I want to keep social media in its proper place, which I think is somewhere off to the side that I have to intentionally log on to make use of. And along with that, I try not to put any professional creativity or effort into a personal social media post again, to protect my creative energy and my time. Like I'm not going to produce and edit and take all kinds of care with a personal social media video or picture or something like I absolutely would for a client. So I got on, you know, all the platforms years and years ago, because, you know, because I was in politics, and I had to, to be able to communicate with my constituents. And I really, it was important to me that I provided lots of ways for my constituents to reach me. And that included the social media platforms, all of them. So I've been on probably been on Facebook the longest, Twitter after that, um, Instagram sometime after that. Um, Instagram isn't, uh, Instagram truly is social and, and not as good a platform for political um, speech. But Twitter was, I was very active in Twitter when I was more active in politics. But I really used it during those years, during those eight years I served on the Alabama State Board, I was so task saturated. It was just a time of you know, job and family and, and then all the politics and the travel and the, and John starting a business. And so it's a lot of task saturation. I found it not hard at all, not to look at social media, except for it being a community, a one-way communication. I would, well, it was two-way in the sense that if somebody posted to my, you know, my social media post, then, you know, had a comment that I would answer back because that was part of my philosophy. I used it for a communication tool, but I didn't, look at anybody else's social media. I didn't pay attention to any of that. And I got very used to that. It was it was really kind of 50% of social media. I, I never, I mean, I just literally, I had a fan page and I, I had a basically hidden friends page. So I never used it for any purpose except for outgoing. Since I've gotten out of politics, I've I've done more with it. I, I will say that during my years in politics, my philosophy on what people would post to my page is I, I never minded if anybody put focused, you know, put, posted something where they disagreed with a position or, you know, something that they just, you know, they wanted to get off their chest. They wanted to let me know about, they could post it publicly, privately. I was, I always tried to be an open book, but if somebody was offensive to me or somebody else on my page, then I hid them or deleted them. And I just, I don't feel bad about that. It's my dang page and ain't yours and I can delete you or hide you if I want to. <laughs> And so, you know, that was kind of my philosophy on it. I have gotten more into the social aspects of social media in the years since I've been out of politics. But by practice of of really of not 
you know, I, I've never gotten very sucked in. That has persisted. And I'm glad of that because I don't want to be sucked into that. I want to connect with real people, my family, my friends. And I, I'm, gl- I'm glad to see that social media has definitely hit its zenith and is leveled out because my kids who are now teens and tweens, they're like whatever on social media, you know, they like, okay, but they don't, maybe it's because they're practiced at it more practiced than us adults, but they don't get sucked in. You know, they, they look at it if they want to, they don't, if they don't want to. Um, and I think that's very healthy. I have to be honest. This is something I've really, really struggled with because there have been so many times where I would spend a long time scrolling through any given social media platform. I think I personally think Facebook is the worst. Um, It's it's just the worst, but uh, (laughs) like scrolling through it and scrolling through it and not finding anything of value. It's just a way to turn off my brain and then ending up stumbling across things that are not only not valuable, but are deleterious to me like they don't make me they not only don't make me better they make me worse and and it's it really is addictive by design so this is something that there's been a lot of research done on 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 how that endless scrolling they them knowing how to through various algorithms and constant testing knowing how to put stuff in front of you that'll keep you scrolling it'll keep you in that fear of missing out that FOMO state and, you know, here's, there, there's, like I said, there's been a lot of research done on it. Here's one uh, Dr. Billy Gordon, a PhD in neuroscience, had to say. He said, the ventral tegmental area, or VTA, of the brain monitors social needs by releasing dopamine when we achieve social success and inspiring neurochemical deficits when we don't. Tragically, social media is not the VTA's friend. The VTA, he explains, is a region of the brain that doesn't function as a high of a level as other regions, like the lizard brain. The, he says, the physiological cues that the VTA uses to determine social status from negative social media experiences are the same as those occurring in our ancestors' brains when the tribe banished them. Of course, not getting enough likes on Facebook is a lot different from being left to face jackals alone, but the VTA cannot think. It only re-signals and reacts. That's why people waste hours online arguing about things they have no control over. This response is not about the Facebook or Twitter war du jour. It's about the natural human fear of being cast out to face certain death. Mm. Doesn't that make you uncomfortable to, to think yes. what you think is something <laughs> that you are using as, a, as an escape is actually putting you into a state of fear? I was listening last night to the On Being podcast with Krista Tippett. It's a fantastic podcast. I recommend it. But her her most recent show, uh, her guest was a science writer. And I really loved what he said. And I think it applies to what you're saying, Liz, is that we don't need to be too prideful thinking that we're above being human. That's what mm-hmm. he said. He's like, look, no one is fully immune to this. You Just because you're aware it's addictive doesn't mean you're not going to get addicted. Like, we can be aware and know what these programs are doing to us and still get sucked down a path we don't want to go anyway. I just don't like how it can control you and control your emotions. And you're giving social media, it's so easy to give it so much power in your life. 
it give you power over your head, power over your feelings, power over your emotions, power over your, your, you know, the state of your marriage, the, you know, the state of your finances. I mean, it, it can make you buy things that you, you don't need or want. Mm -hmm. And so I, it worries me that I would, I, I, maybe that's the reason why I resist it. I, you know, because the the fear that you're going to get sucked into a hole that you, that you'll have trouble getting out of. Can y'all think of any examples of, of a time when social media use sparked a particular emotion, positive or negative, in you? Uh, y'all, I mean, every week I'm like, remind me why we decided to get so vulnerable and authentic on this show. Like, I always <laughs> feel like I'm showing all the parts of me that I truly just want to hide. Like, don't we love when other people are vulnerable, but like, I wish we didn't have to be. So why I got off of all social. I remember sitting in my church chapel, trying to meditate, and I was so anxious over, I think it was my LinkedIn profile. Like I'd find myself worrying about how few connections I had and, you know, did it make me look unsuccessful? And then my mind would jump over to something maybe I had posted on Twitter and I'd start getting anxious thinking, did that post I did make me look insensitive or whatever negative quality? And then I'd double round to Facebook and I'd think about maybe, <laughs> I'm embarrassed, maybe some effusive supportive comment I made on someone's post or picture that they didn't like or comment back on or acknowledge in any way. Like the equivalent. They didn't harm you? Yeah, like the equivalent of you sticking out your hand and going high five and then like them ignoring you and getting crickets or cold Leaving shoulders. Like, like it's like giving a gift and not getting a thank you note. It, so it that really bothered me, which would bring me round the bases to slide into home play where I'd be like, well... Aren't you kind of a hypocrite, Rachel? Because it's not like you are great at keeping up with other people's comments or questions on your social media either. So one day I had enough of those thoughts and I nuked it all. So I'm thinking of a positive here. I, over the years of posting, particularly with regard to Facebook, I've noticed over the years that when I post something that's really important to me in, in terms of an issue, maybe it's a... Yes, an education policy issue of some sort. I'll post that and it'll get, you know, some likes, some comments, you know, some people will engage, but it's typically kind of the usual group of people that engage on those sorts of things. And it's not a ton of people. But when I post about my family, um, now when my kids were really little, I had some rules about posting with their their pictures and names. And I'll I'll talk to that in a minute when we get to that point. But but when I post personal pictures, when I post something about my dad, who's a former Alabama quarterback and played in the NFL and kind of has a, a place in some people's football history hearts. You know, when I post about personal things, um, good or bad personal things, people engage more. And what I learned from that is that maybe this is a good piece about social media is that people really do want to, they're interested in you. They're interested in your life. They're interested in your real thoughts. So, you know, it's not the place to bear all, tell all. I, mean, I just, I don't recommend that on Facebook, but if you need prayers for a thing in your life and you feel comfortable sharing it, that might be a good thing. A big event, you know, so long as it's safe to post pictures of your kids. In other words, your kids are an age when it's safe to post them. I think those things are great. But I do, I don't know, on a positive note, you asked about emotions. It's always gratifying when, you know, to notice that people really care more about you than, you know, some esoteric issue. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great to mention the positive sides because it's not all negative. 
I mean, I remember seeing a post years ago from a divorced dad. He was a very highly educated person. He was saying something to the effect of, hey, get off my back with all the negative info about social media. For some of this, this is our main way to feel connected and less lonely. So I don't think we can, you know, we can't assume everyone is slogging through social media, addicted, hating it. And thinking back on when I nuked all of mine, I knew logically how irrational my feelings were. I knew if someone didn't respond, it wasn't rejection. You know, I knew no one cared how many LinkedIn connections I had, whatever. For me, I just got fed up with having to reassure myself of that as though I were an angsty, insecure teenager. When I felt then, and I really feel to a large extent now that, you know, I'm just not sure I need social media. I like it to some extent. There's content I engage in from my CrossFit community, and I value that. I value seeing, you know, friends and family's pictures, but I could probably get off again and not miss it. And even, you know, for business, Pepper and I have a boutique communications firm, and we aren't really in the business of scaling like entrepreneurs. We're more the Seth Godin model of freelancers, basically high touch, high quality services for a very few high level clients. So our business largely comes from word of mouth, and we don't do any social media basically so we don't have to distract ourselves and keep up with it because if you do it it's really a beast and we haven't found that we we need it for us in fact pepper just actually deactivated his facebook accounts because he's reading deep work and is struggling to see any value in any of it because of that distraction but you know for some types of businesses for some individuals social media can be very valuable yeah, and I I don't want to insinuate that social media is all bad news. Uh, according to one study, but I a read, lot of it is bad. <laughs> according to one study I read in Proceedings of the Royal Society of Biological Sciences, while social media often gets bashed for its negative implications, the study found that people with large online social networks were better at forming memories and were more likely to remember names and faces than with uh, than people with smaller or less active online networks. I, I have found that to be the case. I mean, there are people who I went to college with who I might see around Birmingham, and I only remember their names because we're Facebook friends. And, and that gives me an opportunity to be able to go up and, and say hi to them and talk to them without it being you know, kind of weird because they, I know if, if I'm friends with them, they're also friends with me. Um, talking about social media and kids, counselor Nakia Lowry made a good point when she said that uh, monitored collaborative social media use between teens and their parents is a good way to build an open dialogue. Quote, parents can develop a relationship online with their teens by following their accounts. This will allow for open communication on what they're exposed to and communicating online. Having open communication will assist teens in developing healthy emotional intelligence, a significant part of good decision-making as teens grow and mature. So as social media will change, and techno- but technology and, and how ubiquitous the internet has become isn't going away anytime soon. So I think it's also important for young people to learn those skills as well. Often their first introduction to computer science will be through games and social media. And you, I don't think you can discount the importance of technology in, in the future job market for your teens and, and young people. But as parents, what are some rules and guidelines that y'all have put in place for your children that you have seen be positive when it comes to computer time and social media? So on this particular subject, I feel like I've got a long history because I've been on social media so long um, for the political side. 
I want to say a word to parents who are struggling for young children and what to do regarding young children and then maybe get into the teens and the tweens. And But for young children, here are some tips that I've learned to keep your young children safe. Before your children of an age when they can be snatched by a stranger, it is really important. Don't to, to take some simple safety precautions, you know, be careful about putting full-on pictures of their faces. Take pictures of them from the back. I have so many pictures of my kids, kids at Disney World with, you know, all of them faced backwards, you know, looking at the Disney World sign. Or, you know, the first day of school, take a picture of all their little shoes, their feet and their shoes lined up. Or, you know, have them turn around and take a picture of their cute backpacks. Or, you know, or take maybe even a profile picture, one when they're not looking directly at the camera. If you want to post on their birthdays, you can post pictures of when they were born because kids, the great thing is that kids change so quickly, the way they look changes so quickly that posting pictures of them now, you know, they won't look that way again, you know, pretty soon. And so this can even be a policy if you've already posted a bunch of pictures of your kids that you can start now because they will look differently so quickly. The other thing that I would strongly recommend you do, and, and you'll be surprised at how quickly your community gets to handle gets a handle on this is call your children by the letter of their first name and not their actual name or don't name them at all say my middle daughter or if you if you're Rachel and you have five kids you know you can't really do that but you know but you can call them by their initial you can call them by if you have only one daughter or you know one son or maybe my oldest son my youngest son but don't call them by their names. And what you're doing is you're making it, stranger danger is real and you're making it just a little harder for a stranger to go up to them and through social engineering say, oh, your mom, Mary Scott Hunter, you know, Nathan um, told me to come get you, get him. I mean, it's so easy to do social engineering to uh, on a kid, you know, just by looking at someone's Facebook so be really careful about that and don't make it easy on them. I mean, obviously, the other piece of it is explaining to your kids about stranger danger, but good grief. There's so many little kids that can just be snatched So, because they're not big enough. Or str- I mean, I'm shocked when I see people put on Facebook, first day of school for little Annie, she's going to be in such and such class at such and such place. Don't do that. Um, that is not smart. So that's for little kids and some tips for people on what to do about your little little children. Now, I, I, Rachel has done, done an awesome job with her kids and social media, you know, her older kids, her, tw- her teens and her tweens. And I'm going to kick it over to her to answer this question because she's schooled me on some things to do. But we've only just delved into this. My my youngest has um, Instagram and my oldest actually just got Instagram. Um, my daughter still seems totally uninterested, oddly enough. But um, I've struggled with how to handle it. And I confess, I don't look at their Instagrams enough. I I felt Instagram was the safest. I didn't let him get on Facebook or Twitter uh, because I that's just too many words. <laughs> I don't want them reading all that all the stuff that could be written. But I felt Instagram and you know was the safest and the friendliest. And I don't know. To me, it seems like the old school Facebook. It just seems a bit more positive. So anyway, uh, that's that's where I am. Well, and I'm, I'll take it a, a little bit of a different direction from the outside danger that can happen to your kids, more to the the danger I think that can happen um, uh, to them as users. 
So I, I want to share a metaphor that I got from a, a podcast that my CrossFit coach shared with me. It's called the Body of Knowledge podcast. I highly recommend it. It tackles science and fitness and well-being and is hosted by Kenny Kane and Andy Galpin. Anyway, they did a really well done, well-researched two-part series on why they decided to go dark, as they called it, as a business, considering their job is to promote health and wellness. And to their minds, you know, these platforms have been proven to do otherwise. And I, I know I shared those episodes with y'all and y'all listened. But the metaphor they came up with that stuck out to me was that social media is, is like lead paint. You know, back in the day, no one knew it was bad for you and it was in everyone's houses. And then it was discovered, hey, this is this is really harmful. And once that fact was known, you'd kind of be malicious to use lead paint anyway. And their point was that, you know, we've had social media long enough now to know that particularly for kids, it can be really harmful. So his position was that's a fact. So what do we do with that? Do we give it to our kids anyway? In our family, we've taken an approach that we don't give our kids And I'm not judging anybody who does anything differently. I'm just sharing what we do. We don't give our kids phones or iPads or laptops or any of that until about eighth grade. And we we do have a family computer in our main living area that they can use. There's a whole movement called Wait Until Eighth. And I really recommend that. Maybe just take a a quick look and look at that. Though I'm going to say it has been very challenging to stay strong and tell our kids they can't have things that truly everyone else they know does have. Mm -hmm. My daughter used to come home weeping about it. My son, he's in seventh grade. I know he feels left out like he's the weird, weird kid. Luckily, he's, you know, very popular and into sports and scouts. And I think he'll be okay and thank me one day, I hope. But so right now, only one of our kids is on social media. And that's the oldest, my, my ninth grader. And I don't love that for her, but I do recognize this is modern living. And like you said, Liz, there are some benefits and she needs to be able to navigate this and make decisions. She's old enough to do that. And I don't want to fall into black and white thinking where I just say, oh, it's just all horrible. Nobody can use it. We do have a bunch of rules in place, but the plain fact is, like you said, Liz, it's addicting. It distracts kids, especially young kids, from developing worthy interests. And once you give it, it's very hard to take it away. So my recommendation truly is if you have young kids and you're thinking, oh, what's the big deal? I'll get them a cell phone or let them have Instagram or Snapchat. I genuinely urge you to push that off as long as you possibly can. Their brains are forming and the smartest people in the world are programming these applications to tap into their emotions, to jerk them around for someone else's gain, not theirs. And it can wait. It, it should wait, in my humble opinion. So what you what you just mentioned brings me to my next point. I actually got a I read a news article this morning, and I knew this was coming on Instagram, but I'm interested to see how it works on Facebook as well. Is that both Instagram and Facebook are going to start hiding likes to see if it quote unquote makes people feel better? Personally, I'm skeptical of that approach because I think it makes them even more free to use their algorithms to manipulate what we see and how we feel. So on one side, I do think that there are a lot of negative, possible negative outcomes of your self-esteem riding on how many likes a picture gets. I know that like there've been times on Instagram, which is full of beautiful people and beautiful places. I'll post a picture that I think is pretty of myself or, you know, something I love and it doesn't get a whole lot of likes. I'm like, oh, well maybe it wasn't as worthy as I thought it was to be out there on social media. But then on the other hand of that, if if there aren't some kind of signal of a visible signal of, well, this article is worth my time or this you know, piece of information 
um, has some validity and how, you know, because I can see all the interaction it's getting, then I think it, it makes it a little bit easier for those algorithms to be manipulated and it through that even more definitely affect our emotions. There's a great but terrifying study out of Oxford that details just how social media has been used to manipulate us over the last several years. I mean, we've all heard of like fake news and and what may or may not have happened during the 2016 election. But here's here's from its executive summary. The manipulation of public opinion over social media platforms has emerged as a critical threat to public life. Around the world, a range of government agencies and political parties are exploiting social media platforms to spread junk news and disinformation, exercise censorship and control, and undermine trust in the media, public institutions, and science. At a time when news consumption is increasingly digital, artificial intelligence, big data analytics, and what they call black box algorithms are being leveraged to challenge truth and trust, the cornerstones of our democratic society. Social media manipulation is big business. Since 2010, political parties and governments have spent more than half a billion dollars, billion with a B, on research, development, and implementation of psychological operations and public opinion manipulation over social media. So it's not just the platforms themselves that are being, that are engineered to keep us hooked and to keep us feeling a certain way. It's also people with varying motivations and intentions and looking for particular outcomes that are spending big bucks to get certain pieces of information in front of us. So I was thinking uh, about this. We've talked today about little kids. We've talked about tweens and teens. We've talked about adults our age. But one of the groups we haven't talked a lot about is our seniors. And I think seniors are particularly vulnerable. They're voters, number one. And because they're voters, they are going to be targeted like crazy. And I bet of that half a billion, three quarters of it has probably been spent targeting seniors on. And I think our seniors are particularly vulnerable on social media because you got to remember that our seniors grew up in the age of Walter Cronkite and Peter Jennings and the news was the news and there was not as much partisanship that they knew of anyway in the news. And um, I think there's always been lies told by our government to people, but you know, Facebook is a place of lies it is a it, social media is a place of lies. It is a place where people put doctored pictures. You know, they they put the best version of themselves image wise on there. And so it it is it's it's a big lie. Now, it's not always a bad thing, but it's if you think about it that way, our seniors also one of you know a hallmark of my generation, um, it, Gen X is skepticism. And I highly encourage for any of our listeners out there or anybody that has influence on a, on a, on a senior that's important in their life, encourage them to be skeptical about what they see on social media because they are being targeted like crazy for their vote. I, I don't want to say that the jury is still out on how social media use affects us because there's lots of really quality scholarship out there saying that, um, you know, it's not great. And I don't want to sound like a fear monger here. This is social media is something I use both professionally and personally in a really fulfilling way. I just do think that we have to make significant changes with our really in our relationships with it. Here are a few tips that I found helpful. And there have been some of these sprinkled throughout our conversation by both Mary Scott and Rachel, but I want to go through what I found super helpful. Reap the biggest benefits of social media by using it to enrich your in real life, your IRL, <laughs> as the kids call it, relationships, not to replace them. Comments don't replace quality time. 
So a, a thing that I started doing at the beginning of this year, which was a, a something I wanted to be really intentional about is I have an alarm on my phone that goes off every day at a certain time and it's just text someone you love. Now that could be a friend or a colleague or a family member, just not even, not even something necessarily substantive, but just like, Hey, I was just thinking about you and wanted to see how you're doing. Or I saw something that reminded me of you. And I don't have a schedule of who I text when or anything like that. It's just trying to take some of what would normally be a comment on Instagram or Facebook offline in a way, even though it's still through digital means. It's just, you know, something about it feels a little bit more impactful when it's somebody reaching out to you specifically, not just because they ran across your profile on social media. The other thing, and Rachel, you mentioned this, is hide the dope. Turn off the little red badges in your settings. Those are those little numbers and the little red circles. I know they're red on on iPhones anyway. I'm not sure what color they are on other other phone platforms, but it, turn them off. You can turn those off, and so you you can't see that you have an alert. Those are little dopamine triggers that ignite that fear of missing out, that FOMO instinct. Most phones these days have a setting where you can limit the daily amount allow, of time allowed on a certain app. So I know an iPhone, you can go app by app and say, okay, I have a 15-minute limit on Twitter or I have a 15-minute limit on Instagram. And once that timer is up, you can't use it again until tomorrow without putting in a password or something like that. Um, so for extra for extra accountability, you can ask your spouse or somebody else to be the one that holds the password. So you have to convince them <laughs> That you need more time on social media. Oh, Nelly. Oh, Nelly. And browsers have similar extensions. I know Chrome has an extension um, where you can put that, you can install that, and then that puts limits on your social media time. And those, the one that I've used in the past, it's pretty intense. Like you cannot get around it. You can, you can have it set to where you cannot get around it. And then for if, while you are using social media, my biggest piece of advice is don't feed the trolls, and that includes yourself. There's a pastor I really admire. His name is Matt Whitman. He also happens to have one of my favorite podcasts, No Dumb Questions, and a a great YouTube channel called The 10-Minute Bible Hour, and he is fantastic at this. He says, and he may be quoting someone else here, but what you win people with, you win people to. So if you convince someone with anger and vitriol and harsh words— that's the type of people you're going to have on your side. And that creates a pretty negative echo chamber. Instead, engage in good faith with patience, if you choose to engage at all. My personal policy the last two years has been not to try to convince anyone of anything on the internet. Just as Paul says in Romans, you've got to heap coals upon their heads using kindness and goodness and all those other fruits of the Spirit instead of anger and you know, a lack of patience. Thank y'all for joining our discussion of social media. Now, if you want a place full of social media, a place on the social media full of nothing but positivity and useful information, we'd love if you gave us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Pod. We also have a fun little internet community and Facebook groups at Bell Curve Insiders where we share more stories and articles and polls we love. We hope to see you there. We promise to make it something that's beneficial for your life and, and adds things, not detracts from you. On November 5th, I'm really excited about this. We're going to we're gonna be d- discussing our latest Bell Curve book club pick, The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin. 
You can find a link to purchase that book on our website, bellcurvepodcast.com, or you can just, you know, hop on Amazon or or go to your local bookstore and, and pick up a copy. But you don't have to read it, I think, to get a lot of good information out of the discussion we're going to be having. Ruben delivers an engaging, eminently relatable chronicle of transformation, and we know that you'll get a lot of really useful information out of that conversation we're going to have on November 5th. So, bye. I don't never know how to finish it. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> you might have to leave that in there. I think we do. <laughs> <laughs>